Welcome, welcome, everyone. Round two of the FIFA Arab Cup is in the books. These games are coming thick and fast. It was like, well, it was 72 hours ago when we got together and discussed round one. You will see that uh, our man in Mesopotamia has gone missing, uh, but so has the Rock's attack at this uh, FIFA Arab Cup. So I can't say I blame him. Uh, in his stead, we have myself, uh, vassal of Football Palestine. We have the esteemed journalist, Madam Zahi, North African football expert. And by the way, part of the Blue Check crew on Twitter. And we've got our stats man, the lad in the Levant, Mahfouf of FA Lebanon, here to break down uh, round two of the FIFA Arab Cup. So guys, let's get started. I think the, the headline game, and one that I really enjoyed because it was so unexpected from start to finish drama, Syria who looked lost in their first game against UAE for the better part of an hour, came out and they punched Tunisia in the mouth. And for the record, Maher and I had Tunisia winning this tournament. I don't think anyone saw uh, Tunisia losing in what I think we can call the Nabil Ma'lul derby. Uh, Maher, tell us what exactly happened to Tunisia in that game? It just never really got off to the right foot. I mean... The quick mistake, and it was at the first four minutes that yeah. Syria scored, I believe. Uh, Farajani Sessi, one of your most experienced players in the squad, being dispossessed in his own third. Uh, and then the goalkeeper, uh, Farouk bin Mustafa, I think, I, don't, I wouldn't call it a howler, but he's expected to make that save. And Tunisia's goalkeeping has been a problem probably since, since the World Cup. At the AFCON, they were very disappointed. They're very inconsistent. They can pull off decent matches where you think, okay, yeah, this guy is probably one of the better goalkeepers in the Arab world. Sometimes it can be very, yeah, inconsistent, mistake-prone, let's say. And I think Farouk Ben Mustafa was expected to make that save. The red card after that, I mean, Mundar Kabeir right now, the, the, the Tunisian coach is on, on a hot seat. Um, qualifying was going smoothly. They lost to Equatorial Guinea. And since then, uh, people in Tunisia are telling me that he's on the hot seat and that he's actually... Um, his destiny sort of been sealed, that he's actually going to be uh, fired following the Arab Cup. And this Arab Cup is sort of like uh, sort of a last chance, a last resort for him to really keep his job. And matches like this are just not going to do it for him. So I do think that if Tunisia continue to disappoint, uh, this I don't know if this is an exclusive or not, but I do believe that Tunisia will be firing Mundar Kbeir. And they'll be looking for a new coach ahead of their, their playoffs in three months' time. So that's something definitely to keep an eye on. But uh, it's just been disappointing in general for them. I mean, with, with this squad of players, the only lone bright spot has been Manchester United's Hannibal Majibi, who's uh, had an assist in the first game. And he was probably Tunisia's best player in the second game. But when you talk about players like Naeem Sliti, like Ferjani Sassi, uh, these are players with a lot of experience. They should not be putting in these kinds of performances at the Arab Cup. So uh, losing 2-0 to Syria, again, with all due respect to Syria, I think Tunisia expected to do better. And uh, now they have it all to play for in the, in the final match against the UAE. So even the UAE are not completely qualified, if I'm not mistaken. So they can't afford to lose that match, really. So it's going to be a, a really tight match uh, at the end. Yeah, um, Maron, I'll come to you because you, as a Lebanon fan, have seen uh, Syria up close and personal at World Cup qualifying. They played, I think, probably one of the best games in Group A of World Cup qualifying. It ended 3-2, helter-skelter action back and forth. But what really struck me in that game was how error-prone 
Syria was. What did you see? And do you think this is actually a seed change for Syria? Because Syria came into this match uh, in their last eight games, six losses, two draws, and they didn't have Omar Soma, Omar Khribin, or Mahmoud Mawas. And it didn't matter, they won. So, so what do you think is happening with, uh, with Syria under their new coach, uh, Valerio Tsitsa? Uh, first of all, uh, when you get a new coach here in the Middle East, at least, the first thing that he does is to uh, know how to position the players in the back, like how the defenders will stand, how they will defend as a unit the whole match. And afterwards, if he's a good coach, he works on how to play the counterattack. It seems that the only manual that all the coaches that come to the Middle East or the West Asian Middle East, let's say, uh, know how to use. So, uh, so what I've seen in Syria in game versus Tunisia, it's uh, a very organized team, but do not know how to come forward. And it's obvious from the two goals that came. They came from an error uh, from either from the midfielder uh, in the first goal in minute four, and the second one was a uh, was like a shambles and to the left of the. Uh, pitch, if I remember correctly, and then the ball went to a, a guy who was free to shoot, and he shot and made and made the goal. So, what, Tunis was far better uh, than Syria in this game by uh, by miles. I didn't see anything that impressed me, uh, Syria, except how they defend, how they did defend, and uh, it reminded me a little bit of Lebanon because that's the only way we seem to play versus Egypt. That's how we played. We'll come, uh, we'll come back to how did we play versus Algeria. Congress to Meher, by the way. So, uh, yeah, uh, all in all, I think that if, uh, if I can decide who gets the three points of the game between Syria and Tunis, I would give it to Tunis every day of the week. Yeah, maybe you... Still, I, I think if you... Sorry, but if you ask most Tunisians, they would still be disappointed with the, with the, especially the fine details. Like I said, being dispossessed in midfield for Jani Sassi, that's what, 32 years old. He's played in the World Cup. He's played in I don't know how many Cup of Nations. It's just uncharacteristic of him, you know? The second goal I remember now was a, was a world-class goal, almost like, uh, I mean, when you're defending with 10 men, there's going to be pockets of space to open up, but a Syrian player hit it from, I think, 20, 25 yards out into the into the 90-degree the corner, like uh, Hafid Daraji says, where, where Shaitan lives, where, where Satan lives. So that's uh, that was a nice goal. Yeah, I, I, you know, part of me thinks that Syria read the scouting report and knew that Farouk bin Mustafa isn't so secure in shots from distance. And I do remember when it was still nil-nil uh, in their first game against Mauritania, there was a shot that, okay, I think it took a bit of a deflection, but it went up goal and he was very lucky. He knew nothing about it. It hit his legs and bounced out. And even on the corner, uh, shortly thereafter, still at nil-nil against Mauritania, there was some bedlam in the box. It kind of, the ball hit him, went off the post, and they were very lucky not to concede there as well. So, you know, and it's something I've seen, and you've touched upon this, that Tunisia has a bit of a goalkeeping problem. Do you think this could be uh, a signal for either the current manager or a new manager to change the, the man at the back. Not that I'm blaming Farouk uh, bin Mustafa for what happened, but from what I've seen from Tunisia, their goalkeeping has been um, not as good as the quality in the rest of the pitch, shall we say. The problem, Bessel, is that they've already tried that. I mean, Farouk bin Mustafa 
was the third goalkeeper at a certain point. They had Muaz bin Sharifiya, who was um, a goalkeeper at Esperanza Tunis. They've had Muaz Hassan, who was, um, you know, looked really impressive as an 18, 19 year old playing for Nice in France. I just sort of fell off a little bit. And he made a crucial mistake in, in the 2019 Cup of Nations. Uh, that I, I don't remember if it eliminated Tunisia or practically eliminated them, but it was it was a very, very important mistake. So the problem is they have switched up these goalkeepers. And each time, you know, a goalkeeper will come in, have a string of four or five decent matches, and then some some kind of bug hits them and they, they end up being inconsistent. So I, I just don't see from a pool of players who they can maybe bring in to, to take over from Ben Mustafa. I don't I don't see any like young Tunisian goalkeeper that's playing super consistently. Um, but of course, if he's suffering a poor form of confidence, they 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 definitely need to to look elsewhere. Um, but yeah, it's it's just not that simple. Yeah, and that sets up a very interesting final day in Group B. UAE will play Tunisia and Syria will play Mauritania. There is this scenario where Tunisia could beat UAE and Syria could beat Mauritania, and you would have three sides all evil, all even, excuse me, on six points, um, which would, you know, be very interesting to see how that breaks down with goals for, goal difference, the head-to-head, and maybe potentially even FIFA fair play uh, points deciding the top two teams to go through. Uh, let's touch a little bit on Mauritania, because, you know, in the first episode, Maher, you spoke about this team being difficult to play against and difficult to break down. And I think they had a bit of a bounce back performance, although it seems like the finer facets of their game was missing. They'd win the ball uh, with great energy and physicality in midfield, then immediately give it back to the Emiratis. Uh, they lived dangerously in the back. Uh, I thought the goalkeeper in Barakande had a, a good game. Um, but again, Emirati finishing wasn't the best. And it was, a, it was a little heartbreaking, I think, at the end to see uh, finally, the Emiratis cash in on all the chances and take all three points. Do you think there's enough in the tank for Mauritania to spoil Syria's party? Because I think everyone's looking at that game and saying, okay, if Syria plays like they did in the last game, Mauritania should be no problem. Um, it's a good question. I think they, I think they could. I mean, they pushed the UAE to, to their limits, really. Um, and it was like it's one of those things again. It wasn't the most entertaining of matches, you know. Mar- Mauritania didn't really attack. I think maybe they did. They have a shot on goal. Maybe they, they might have had one or two, maybe. Um, but that's more of what I was expecting when Mauritania came up against Tunisia. Was really that low block of eight or nine players sitting behind the ball, just tr- forcing you to beat them. You know, you got to make the the third man runs. You got to um, hit them on the counterattack with pace if they ever come out of you know their end of the pitch. Uh, that's more the Mauritania I was expecting against Tunisia. I think against the Emirates, I think they did. I think they were proud of their performance. I've seen a lot of supporters uh, happy with what they did. Um, yeah, they conceded in the what was it the ninety third minute, I believe ninety third minute. Yeah, so it was in stoppage time. Yeah. To, to a certain extent, I almost think, you know, for me, sides that sit back like that, they're almost asked for it. You know, I don't, I don't always feel guilty or, or feel bad for them. Um, but I think they could have maybe, uh, I know they subbed in their, their best player is the winger, Ahmed Moulay. Uh, they call him Bassam or Bassam. Uh, they could have subbed him in a little bit earlier. They didn't start the match with him. Um, and, and I think quality from set pieces could have been a little bit better. I don't know why the defender, Abdul Ba, wasn't playing. He's one of their best threats from set pieces. Um, so yeah, that was pre- pretty much the only way they could have attacked the UAE. 
who I thought did an okay job, but lacked a little bit of sharpness as well. So do, could they spoil the party for Syria? I think they could hold them to a draw again. No, no. <laughs> That's Mauritania's specialty. I don't think they can beat them. Yeah. Well, let's make it interesting here because uh, there was kind of a consensus on how this group would uh, unfold. Uh, I believe three people, um, both of you gentlemen included, picked Tunisia to, fit, to win the group and UAE to finish as runners up. I'm going to give you the opportunity to give some predictions here. So if you want to go back on your initial uh, thoughts on who would get out of this group, predict the results of Mauritania against Syria and UAE against Tunisia. Who's getting out of this group? Uh, Mahar, go ahead. I still think it's going to be Tunisia and the UAE. And I think in that order, I think Tunisia will beat the Emirates. And, you know, I think Mauritania is going to spoil the party for Syria. I think they're going to hold them to a draw. Um, Tunisia just has to shake up their formation. And they. I think they're going to come back really motivated to get a positive result. They came in with like a weird 3-4-3 where their left center back is actually a defensive midfield, the defensive midfielder, and it wasn't really working that well. Um, they had some players out, one for COVID, one due to injury. So I think Ali Ma'lul hopefully is going to be back. Uh, I think maybe he's going to start with Youssef Msakni for the next match. Um, and I think... Hopefully, uh, Tunisia can uh, can rate their ways. Uh, what, do you know anything about the status? I think it was Mathluthi who uh, contracted COVID. COVID, yeah. Is, yeah. is he still in the running to play that last game? Because I, I know that... So, no, you're saying no. I see you're, you're shaking your head. No, I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know what the protocols are. I don't know, like, is it does it like is it two negative PCR tests? Is it as soon as you test positive, you're out for the tournament? I don't know what the protocol is for the Arab Cup. Yeah, I would say over in Group C, uh, Palestine's right back, one of their most experienced players, uh, Mustafa Al-Baqat, tested positive before the tournament, and they took him out of the squad entirely. And that was uh, ditto for Abdullah Oudat on the Jordanian side as well. He tested positive. They took him out. So interestingly enough, the rules and regulations haven't stipulated what the hell happens when somebody gets COVID. And I think a little bit frustrating to see because, you know, during the Euros, players would test positive one game and then you know they just would need two negative tests or something like that to, to return after a certain uh period of absence i remember i think billy gilmore for scotland tested positive against england and came back for their final game against croatia but that's neither here nor there we're here to talk about arab football so Maron, let me come to you uh you picked tunisia first uae second are you sticking uh, to it or will you change your predictions uh, yeah, I'm sticking to it just because it was my first gut feeling. But I'm I can't see Syria beating Mauritania. I don't know why, but I can't see it. And uh, yeah, it will be uh, one hell of boring match. I think both 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 team leaving the ball in the center and just defending. I think that it will be that case. Yeah. Okay. Well, that leaves me yours truly to make a prediction. Uh, and I was the lone voice of dissent. I said Syria would finish as runners-up. I think that's possible. They just have to take care of business in a game that, on paper, is their easiest game at this tournament. If they can beat Mauritania, and heck, they just beat Tunisia, which was the one of the toughest outs at this tournament, then they'll go through. And I think, you know, if Tunisia takes care of business against UAE, which, on paper, they should, then we have a scenario where um, three teams are on six points, and it comes down to the tiebreakers. And one of the tiebreakers is head-to-head results. Each would have, I believe, three against each other. Uh, Syria, that, that goal they scored against UAE ended up very, being very important. Uh, so that's one in their pocket. And then they scored two against Tunisia. So that's another two in their pocket. So that's three for them. 
UAE currently on two. We, we wait to see what they do against uh, Tunisia, but I feel like the tiebreaker will fall in favor of um, in favor of Syria. So we'll head-to-head -head is not the criteria. It's it's a criteria somewhere. I, I no, it's uh, a points goal difference, number of goals scored in all group matches, points. Ah, uh, oh, yeah, it's uh, the fourth. Uh, points obtained in the match played. Uh, okay. Then the goal difference. Yeah. Well, uh, okay, and between it's a three-way tie. So each, each has three points against one of the other teams, so it wouldn't really be a factor. But hopefully, it doesn't come down to something uh, silly like FIFA fair play points. Uh, don't want to bury the lead, but more on that later. Uh, let's switch over to Group A, where there was some late drama. I think predictions-wise, this one is unfolding the way we thought it would unfold. Uh, Qatar, oh, that made it interesting in the second half. They really pushed for an equalizer and they found an equalizer and they were only trailing because of uh, a penalty kick in the first half. So Qatar is uh, the first team to book safe passage to the quarterfinals and they have won their group as well. The other three teams in this group are all still alive. Um, we had a bit of a discussion about Qatar and what they're looking like and what would the readiness be. Uh, what did we learn about them uh, from this result? Because it, they got it with the last kick of the game. It was an own goal and a delayed, not VAR decision, a Hawkeye goal line technology decision, because initially the referee had whistled. The ball had been kicked to the other side of the pitch. And then about 30 seconds later, they ruled own goal. And the game was pretty much over after after that. So what do we think about Qatar Marona? I'll come back to you to give me your thoughts on, on Qatar because you were a little bit bullish about them and their development as a football nation. So did, did we get an explanation for why it took so long? This is the referee not wearing a, one of those watches that gives, you know, an Yeah, I, I don't I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, I think for some of us in West Asia, all this technology is is like you know an alien spaceship coming. Alien. You know, VAR, this is only the third game where I've had VAR for my national team. I don't think there's ever been goal line technology when Palestine has played. Uh, for the teams lucky enough to be in the final round of World Cup qualifying, they've been exposed to it in the last couple match days. But for me, yeah, Lebanon, um, for me, I, I have no idea why it took so long. Maybe, you know, money had to be deposited into account, an account. And, you know, with... Um, your money transferring app, there's always that little bit of time where it loads to get the money to come to the recipient. I don't want to speculate, but no one's given us a, a reason why it took so long. Uh, Maron, uh, speak to me. What what did you think of Qatar in a really dramatic last guest victory against Oman 2-1 for them at the uh, al Bayt Stadium? First of all, I don't approve your conspiracy theories <laughs> about money transferring <laughs> I don't think Qatar needs any money or uh, either, neither does a referee who's a Brazilian. Oh, maybe he does. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so uh, what I was very impressed by Qatar in the first half. I was talking to my friends. Uh, one of them is also a coach. And I told them how I was very impressed by how Qatar played. But in the second half, I thought like they were a bit tired. A lot of misplaced the passes, uh, and it's not lack of communication. Obviously, they all know the, uh, each other very well, so uh, I think they're very, very tired. And I can uh, I can imagine that, and I can understand why uh, nation national teams like Saudi Arabia decided to not send their A team to this tournament because it's obvious that 
these uh, these players are tired. Uh, we're talking about the non-stop competitions since uh, this, that stopped for the COVID. Uh, the uh, the whole professional world ha hasn't stopped like it used to uh, to uh, like for three or four weeks in uh, summer or something like that. So yeah, uh, I was I was impressed. I think with the tournament going moving forward, they will become better and better. They will win the next game versus Iraq. Sorry, Hassanin, <laughs> but uh, I I see them winning and or ending in a zero zero draw, something like that. But uh, yeah, I don't think that they will. Uh, uh, I don't think that they were bad. Uh, Maher, any any thoughts on this match? I'm not sure if you caught it with the time difference over in. Uh... No, yeah, I only. Sorry, I only caught the highlights. Uh, not surprised by the results. Uh, I was surprised by the the goal decision, like like we said. I still haven't seen like all the angles, but the one angle I saw, I wasn't 100 clear that the the ball had crossed the line. That uh, was the only angle that was shown. It was shown on Alcas so, TV. What do you guys I'm think? You sure think it crossed the line? That's right. Uh, I don't know. It's tough. I think it just did, but like it was a bit of a blocked view because the keeper, the keeper's body was blocking that camera angle, and I had, I hadn't, I don't know if there is a camera angle that shows it from the other side where you could see through the net and see that it crossed, um, or something like a you know literal Hawkeye technology. They are the FIFA partner for this, right? Uh, they were testing semi-automatic offside decisions and all this fancy stuff. I don't, I don't know, you know, and it, it's heartbreaking for Oman because I think they showed a lot of grit, a lot of character. Um, Hazardi's goal for the equalizer, I mean, that's what you want in an attacking player. He, he got his head on that ball, and it was just his determination really to like bust through a wall of two Qatari defenders. I think it was a Rawi, and I think it was Pedro Miguel, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and he just like he popped in between them, and he just buried it in the, in the back of the net. So. I feel a little bit sad for Oman. I think they deserved at least a point from uh, what I thought was a very good second half performance. Um, so let me get predictions from your end here. Uh, I believe, well, I know for a fact, Maron, you had um, Oman advancing as the runner-up. I think you've stated your um, intention to remain with that prediction. Uh, Maher, you had Qatar uh, and Iraq, so did I. Um, Hassanen, of course, had Iraq going through. Uh, are we sticking with that prediction? And what will deliver uh, Iraq or Oman to uh, the, the knockout stage? Uh, Maher, go ahead. I think I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump over to Maron's prediction. <laughs> I think I'm going to abandon Iraq. They just haven't convinced me that they could score or attack effectively. Um, so I think they're going to struggle to, to like you said, it might be a nil-nil or, or Qatar could win this game, I think. Um, I just have no faith in Iraq's attacking prowess. And I think our men will beat up Bahrain. I've been a little more impressed with them, uh, with the way they've competed in those first two games. So I'm, I'm thinking Qatar and Oman. Okay. Um, Maron, you've stated your intention. Anything else? Join you... us. Join us. <laughs> Do you... Anything else? Welcome you want... to the dark side, Maher. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Omanians. <laughs> Anything else, Maron, you want to say about uh, how you think the final match day in Group A will unfold? I hope that students of Hassanin can bring him any handshakers or something like that, tissues to wipe his tears. Because uh, I think that they will have their second uh, defeat. 
in, in the Arab Cup. It's amazing how they've only lost once in the entire history of the Arab Cup. Yeah. Um, I am going to go with, I'm going to stick to my prediction. Uh, that said, oh my God, like, it's painful to watch Iraq. It's really, really painful to watch it. I feel sorry for the fans. They remind me a lot of Palestine at the uh, 2019 Asian Cup. That is not a compliment. Um, we got results there, but it never looked like we were going to score. Actually, we didn't score. Uh, we got two draws, two nil-nils against Jordan and uh, uh, and Syria. And then we got absolutely pummeled because we didn't even try against Australia. And obviously, it could shape up to be that type of game where Qatar just sweeps on the side. But I do think them playing Qatar last helps. This is a tournament where you have one less day of rest between matches. And I just think... Um, Felix Sanchez knows that the, the road to the final on December 18th is going to be tough, and he is going to ring in the changes. Uh, look, it's not, uh, it's not very often that he has, I think, a perfect test scenario uh, for the reserves in his squad. He's tried to do that with all these matches they're playing, especially them being a quasi-member of European qualifying. But he has never gone and said, okay, this, the second team is going to play. He's maybe sprinkled in one or two players. Now he can just say, okay, boys, show me you deserve a spot as player number 17, 18, 19, 20 uh, in the squad. Uh, and I think this is a perfect opportunity to do it. Plus you get to rest your players. So I think that will play any rocks advantage. It'll be a nil-nil. Uh, Oman and Bahrain, listen, when, when Arab teams in West Asia meet, it's almost like a guaranteed draw. We've seen that a lot in, uh, in World Cup qualifying. Just a lot of binary scorelines, a nil-nil, 1-1, one, one. Uh, even, even UAE's win on, uh, against Lebanon was a 1-0. The one crazy one was Syria-Lebanon, but that's been the exception rather than the, the rule. Even on the, in the other group, Group B, Oman-Saudi Arabia was decided by the odd goal. It was 1-0 when they played. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it, it won't be pretty, um, and it will be just one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, they didn't win a game, but they got three points and they're going through. Okay, great. Um, and we'll see Iraq in the, um, in the knockout stage. Uh, with that, that brings us to a very tasty group where things are pretty much settled. We know the two teams that are going to continue uh, next week at the tournament. We know the two teams that are unfortunately, sorry, Maron, going home a little bit early. Uh, obviously, we have the privilege of having an Algerian and a Lebanese on the show. So let's talk about it. Algeria against Lebanon. Uh, Maron, how are you feeling? Because Lebanon, they, they did, a, I think, showed a lot of heart. They put, in, they put everything they had into it. But again, uh, a penalty and then a late, late goal, which could factor into who eventually wins the group, uh, settled it for Algeria. But it was touch and go for, on paper, the best Arab team out there. So Maron, give me your thoughts. How, how did you see this game? It's uh, an odd one because going into the game, I knew that we will lose versus Algeria, but I, li I really liked how we played. It, we, we defended, obviously, but it wasn't just purely defensive. We, we Somehow we could have came up front and uh, I don't think that it, that somehow that, that our team knew how to get uh, uh, to the other goal. I think that Algeria was a little bit down on the side so uh yeah something to work on in this uh, couple of upcoming games and uh, the odds 
But uh, I think, uh, yeah, with the red card and, and how's the how's the scenario went off this, the red card? Then it, there's the, like a hope that went up that we can equalize. Yeah, yeah. Then uh, customer Zen gets a red card. So yeah, it's a bummer. Then we continue attacking and we continue attacking and we missed one chance after the other. And that there's that one chance where Muhammad Haidar shoots like from. 40 meters away, like he's Andrea Pirlo or something like that versus Parma. So, uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, you can see the frustration. And uh, yeah, so it's the first, it's the 10th time in our history that we lose uh, four games in a row. Uh, very uh, oddly shaped number. So, uh, yeah, we don't deserve to lose four games in a row. I think we played very well. Uh, hardly well in four games that, that passed. So, uh, yeah, congrats to Maher, but I think we deserve a little bit more than zero points in this group. Yeah. Uh, well, discussing Algeria's form, you know, there are rumors there, there are murmurs that Baghdad Bounijah is going to join Xavi at Barcelona. He's he missed a bunch of chances in this game. He did score two goals in the first game, but he also missed his fair share of chances. What do we make of Algeria? Because they were not firing on all cylinders. And yeah, it looked it, it looked pretty scary, especially as the second half proceeded and it remained nil-nil. Uh, Mahad, what are your thoughts on how this game transpired? Honestly, the, for me, I was really impressed with Lebanon in that it wasn't just after Algeria scored that Algeria started sitting back that Lebanon started, uh, not that they weren't like attacking in the first half, but they, I felt like they flipped the switch really around the 60th minute, even before Algeria scored uh, the penalty. So I was really impressed with, because I thought like logically how these games usually, when you have a heavyweight against uh, a slightly weaker team, when, okay, if the heavyweight scores and it's only 1-0, then they'll sit back and sort of absorb pressure and maybe try to hit him on the counterattack. But Lebanon actually flipped the switch a little bit before. So that's what really impressed me there. Um, the good news for Maroon is that you guys have Sudan next, so I think you're going to break that record, that losing streak. <laughs> At least I hope so, in your, in your, for, your, in, for your guys' sake. Um, so my thoughts on the match in general. First of all, the coach, because these matches, we talked about the schedule being so congested and there's the intensity of all these matches. I think the coach did well to uh, rotate. Um, so Emir Sayud came out of the lineup, uh, Yusuf Beleli came into the lineup, who was, I think, probably, in my opinion, the man of the match, who was Algeria's main danger on the left flank. Actually, he floated around a little bit everywhere. Um, Jamal Bilamri came out in central defense, uh, Mehdi Taharat came in. Actually, I think both central defenders came out. Uh, Amin Tugay came in as well, goalkeeping switch. So I think with that, those lineup changes, I think there was bound to be a little bit of, of rustiness. But funnily enough, the rustiness came from Baghdad Bunjah, uh, the one player that had scored a brace the game before. And the thing with him is that, you know, this is, not a, this is not a new problem. This is something that's plagued him really throughout his Algeria career. He's had spells where he's scored a lot of goals, but he's also had spells where he's missed a ton, including in the last Cup of Nations for Algeria in 2019, where he basically did everything correctly. His link-up play was fantastic. It was better than the other strikers, Islam Semenis. Um, the way he was harrowing and chasing defenders, very, very good. He would challenge balls in the air. He's doing everything right. And when he gets in front of goal, sometimes he just, something happens. I don't know if it's nervousness, pressure. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but with the Algerian national team, not necessarily with Assad, he has this problem where he can go on a string of matches where he misses uh, a lot of easy chances. So now 
look, the first match he was pretty clinical. Second match here, uh, not so much. So now he can't let that really persist. He needs to start knocking them in in, in the next match against Egypt. Um, other than that, I thought uh, I didn't think it was a horrible match from Algeria's side. I, I thought in the first half we looked pretty decent. Had we hit the crossbar, we had, and in that same action, a, a ball cleared off the line. Um, I thought they attacked well down the left flank with the fullback Elias Shitti. I thought uh, in central midfield, Sofian Bindipka had a very, very good match. Yusuf Beleli showed why he's he's so special. He won that penalty, which for me was not a penalty. He sort of went down and it was just a, a, a wily move from a wily player. You know, uh, he, I think the leg was outstretched, but he fell onto it, in my in my opinion. Um, but for some reason, the Lebanese defender, Adot, he was just holding his head like, oh, uh, you know, like, if, if I was him, I would have contested it, maybe push it to VAR, but he's, you just sort of implicitly admit that, okay, yeah, maybe it was a penalty. He's holding his head and, you know, so that was uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, so I thought overall a decent match considering the changes. Um, could have been sharper, especially Baghdad Bounijah, but it was a good win and uh, against a good opponent. And now all eyes on that last match. And I'm curious to see What's going to happen? Are we going to play a full strength side against Egypt? Are we just going to try to rest more players again? Um, really, how much how much effort are those two sides, Algeria and Egypt, going to put into that final match, knowing that, again, congested schedule and knowing that the potential opponent, there, I mean, there's a lot into it. You could have Palestine or Saudi Arabia or, or you could or have Jordan. or Jordan, yep. sorry, yeah. or Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Palestine yeah. or Jordan. Or you could... But Morocco, I think, have been, I don't want to go into Group C already, but have been head and shoulders above the opposition so far. So it's going to be interesting calculations to see uh, what Algeria and Egypt are going to try to do. Yeah. Uh, well, look, as the resident Algeria expert, I've got to ask a very pressing question. And that is Majid Bouguerra, who is the standing coach uh, for this side. Uh, Jamal Badi is not the coach for, for Algeria at this tournament. He only retired in 2016. What sort of like Algerian snacks has he been eating in his um, retirement? Because he has uh, put on some, some heft, shall we say. Very big boy. I, I saw him, because um, I've been in Canada now since when did I fly? November 18th. So I was there for the Burkina Faso match on the 14th or 16th, I don't remember. I think it was the 16th. And I saw him in person. He was at that match. He's a big guy, man. I, I, I think he's listed at 6'2", maybe 250, but he's bigger than that. He must yeah, be like around 6'4". centimeters yeah, for those, the fans. Yeah. The he's, he's much bigger. He's much, much bigger. Um, but he's had weight problems even when he was playing at Rangers and stuff. I remember one or two summers, you could tell he wasn't doing his fitness re regime. He was eating a little too much and he had a little bit of a belly when playing. But what, and what then he the had to actually delicacies? regiment his diet, even when he was playing. But what are the uh, You can have, it depends, depends what, what time of the year. You can have like um, a lot of it. So like, because Algeria was like uh, part of the Ottoman Empire, you have a lot of Turkish stuff. So you have your baklava, you have, you know, uh, we have things called qtayif. Um, we have all of this stuff are like Turkish delicacies, but we also have like a lot of semolina based sweets, like qalbeluz, uh, which is very, food, very good. It's just like semolina in like Dasnan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Bulgaria, I'm sure, was getting one. Is not the same Fatayev that we have in Palestine and Lebanon, which we have usually in Ramadan. I don't think so. Uh, it's because uh, I think it comes from the Turkish word, and for, for the Turks, it means something else. Yeah. Uh, interesting to know. Maybe we will delve into the world of uh, Lebanese delicacies. Yes, please. Uh, help you put on 20 kilos or so. 
uh, in a couple of years. Uh, Marona, I want to circle back to you because it's not over in Group D. And before we get into the big, uh, really, title decider, uh, Sudan against Lebanon, you mentioned you're on a four-game losing streak. Really tough on you guys because I think you deserved at least a point against Iran in World Cup qualifying. You did not deserve to lose that game uh, at home against UAE. Which was, we won't get into that because we're focused on the Arab Cup. And then obviously we played very well in the Arab Cup. How do you think Lebanon will approach that game against Sudan? Do you think they'll field the strongest possible 11 or maybe try to make some, some changes? Uh, Mustafa Matar, will he start in goal or will they give chances to somebody to somebody else? Decisions like that. What do, how do you see that playing out? Uh, first of all, just because uh, Maher brought uh, Shan uh, Yeah, uh, I've talked to uh, Shan after the game, and uh, I have uh, you know, I told him it's it's nothing, and you can shake it off. The goal was coming either way, so it's not, no worries. And I truly believe that. So, but uh, what he told me is something interesting. That he told me, I wish that I've made my first start for the national team in another game, not this one. Because uh, it's only his first time that he starts, so he's a little bit less experienced. It, it took forever for him to come to the national team, even though, in my opinion, he proved that he belonged to the national team because he had a very successful uh, career in, in the Far East, playing and starting from Maldives and getting all the way to uh, Indonesia. Uh, passing by India and uh, Malaysia. But uh, yeah, uh, the whole squad is a little bit under-experienced. Uh, if we're going to talk about goalkeeper, I don't think that it would change because uh, we've, we've got uh, the third goalkeeper usually and he's not going to start. He's not... He's the fourth actually because the, our first choice, Mehdi Khalil, or... I don't know if he's still our first choice, but he's out injured. And the second goalkeeper or the vice of Mustafa Matar is uh, out with COVID. So you really don't, don't have to give any minutes for Ali Saba. But we have an interesting choice of Antoine Dwayhe as a third goalkeeper who came, he was our goalkeeper in the under-23 Olympics. But I'm not, I'm, I don't think that he will give him any minutes in front of Sudan. Not yet. He's still 21 years old. He's playing second division. So, yeah. But uh, I think that we've, we, we're we going to see some debutees in the team. Hassan uh, Awada will play, I think. Uh, I think he'll enter as a sub, not a starter. We It will not be a very weaker squad versus Sudan, but I don't see it that, like the one we played versus Algeria. First of all, it's not going to be five uh, at the back. It's going to be four, two, three, one, uh, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. And I don't think that Rabia Atoya will play also. He'll come as a sub. But uh, a little bit, uh, something from the history books. We've never won versus Sudan. Two draws, two losses. Well, I think that's that's, But what's the... Yeah, what's the mentality though? Is this like a game that you really want to win, or is it just like test out some players? Or... I think that we will enter the game just to test some players, but I think that the goal is to win. But it's also important to give experience to the uh, to the players because uh, even today Hashik spoke about it after the game with Algeria. He said that 
it's one of the uh, positive uh, points of this game that we played with some young players. We've had we've had three debutees in this Arab Cup up until now. We've had, we've came to the squad, squad with five or six players who have zero international caps. So um, it's uh, and I think they played well. Like she had Ayub play, number our number five played well. Uh, uh, Mehdi Zen, number eight, who came uh, off as a sub, he played uh, very well. It was his first game he played with the national team. She had only a second. The, uh, she had, it was the first time that he was called up to the national team. So really getting getting his place and play, even though there's some players missing, it's a very good uh, impression for me because he made really quite the impression for, uh, on the coach to play him. I started in his second game called up to the national team. So, uh, yeah, but I, I think the most important thing uh, to me personally also is to give minutes to youngsters uh, because after 2023, half our squad will, will retire, I think, including the captains that we have, Nur Mansour, uh, Muhammad Haidar, Rabia Ataya, and Hassan Mahto. I think they will not continue after 2023. Yeah, and I think on that point, uh, Lebanon, along with the other teams that are still alive in World Cup qualifying in Asia, they have a bit of a scenario of this is the battle. The war is World Cup qualification. I think every single side that is still alive, uh, pretty much hunting for the playoff spot at this point, with the exception of Saudi Arabia, uh, would rather get to the playoff than get out of the group stage. And for teams that aren't so settled, because a team like Oman, a team like UAE, they know who's going to play. It's not so important um, to kind of test new players. You just play your best side. But I think Lebanon, they're making up for lost time. I would say this for Lebanon, this doesn't look anything like the side that was in round two of World Cup qualifying, that when they knew even that North Korea was withdrawing and that was going to help them out, that they struggled to beat Sri Lanka, that they had the game right then and there for them. And not only did they not win, they also lost against Turkmenistan, who was out. Uh, so Hashik has a lot of work to do, right? And if he can if he can use this tournament to identify some key pieces to the team going forward, they're gonna they're obviously gonna benefit. That said, listen, we haven't talked a lot about Sudan. The reason why is I don't want to crush anybody's feelings, but uh, Mahir, I'll come to you. Um, what like how is this team in Afcon? How do they qualify? Like they are there, and South Africa was a quarter finalist at the last Afcon, is not. So please explain to me how I look at Sudan and I see a team with all due respect that looks like they've never seen a, a football before. Yeah, I think they've, they've underperformed. I think they're better than what they've shown, first of all. Um, second of all, um, you know, Africa, now we have 24 teams at the AFCONs. Um, so there are usually a lot of weaker sides that are that are qualifying for these things. And the fact that South Africa didn't qualify in Sudan didn't doesn't mean I, that's more of a reflection of how poorly South Africa uh, were prior to the arrival of their new coach, Hugo Bruce. Um, Sudan do have some decent players. Fadis Abdullah, who was sent off today, uh, I thought he's usually a decent player. I thought Atahir uh, as the right back is not bad. Mohamed Abdelhamand, a striker, uh, leads the, I think, Sudanese league in scoring as well. So these are good players. I think this reflects kind of poorly on the coach, Uber Velud, who's a new coach. Um, 
and again, I think they are under, they're underperforming a bit. I don't think they're as bad as they've shown. I just hope they don't show up against <laughs> Lebanon and ruin uh, Maroon's day. But um, yeah, I, the fact that, that there's 24 teams in the AFCON, you have a lot of, you know, like smaller teams that are qualifying. You have your Madagascars uh, last time. This time you have Comoros, uh, the Gambia, uh, three new debutants, this, this upcoming competition and three debutants last one as well. So I think it has more to do with that than... Uh, than them playing incredibly well during qualifying. Yeah, and we'll see actually a lot of uh, rematches at the upcoming AFCON. Tunisia, Mauritania in the same group. And then I believe, what, is it Sudan, Egypt or Sudan, Algeria? One of the two also uh, meeting up. As, Sudan, uh, Egypt. There, there we go. So um, maybe it was all part of the plan not to, you know, let them know what the game plan was. So we'll, we'll try and give Sudan the benefit of the doubt. Now with that, let's move on. We're moving thick and fast. Three more matches to talk about. Obviously, in Group D, the big one is the title decider. One of the biggest derbies in the Arab world, in Africa, and indeed the whole world. Um, sometimes it results in violence on and off the pitch when Egypt and Algeria play. And guess what? We have a scenario where both teams have scored seven goals. They've let in zero. They've won two games. So we are even on everything. And we are even, even on a FIFA fair play points, both with minus three. So as it stands now, should they draw, it would move to a drawing of lots. I'm not sure if um, FIFA would actually let them take penalty kicks at their end of the game, or is it actually going to be like, they have a press conference and draw lots? Is that how it's going to happen? Uh, Maher, give me your take, and then we'll go to Maron. What is going to happen in this game? Who is closer to getting the result they need to potentially avoid Morocco in the quarterfinal? Yes, yeah, a good. It's a really good question. And this rivalry, you know, this as you mentioned, is one of the most fractious rivalries in Africa, uh, in the Arab world as well. Um, everybody remembers the what happened in two thousand and nine when these two sides were battling out for the last spot in the World Cup, and there were ended up being diplomatic incidents between the two countries. Uh, some people point to the fact that Egypt uh, not making it to the 2010 World Cup as one of the reasons why Hosni Mubarak was deposed. I'm not, I don't make political analyses that simplistic, but uh, just to show you, like there, there are real ramifications to 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 playing and losing this match, especially. Um, I don't anticipate this particular match being that intense. Number one, both two, both of these sides have already qualified different generation of players, different coaches, you know, taking place in, it's not like taking place in Egypt or in Algeria, but in neutral territory. Um, so I don't anticipate it really being that uh, intense. That said, uh, when I spoke to my dad today and I told him that we're going to be playing Egypt next, oh yeah, we, we have to beat them. Uh, I was looking through Instagram stories earlier and I saw Algerian supporters chanting, Mazel uh, Msarwa, Mazel Mazel. So um, Egypt is next, Egypt is next, or Egypt is left, you know, so, so I think there is going to be a little bit of spice, but I don't think it's going to be as intense. I actually believe that if there ends up being in Algeria, Morocco, with the current political climate, I think that's going to be much, much uh, more intense than, than this Algeria, Egypt. So um, I, I, I still don't have a good grasp of what both sides are going to do. I have a feeling that Bouguera is going to be rotating the side again, like he did for Lebanon. Um, maybe take out a Yusuf Bilaili, uh, maybe take out a Baghdad Bounijah and rest them. Um, I, I don't know how how badly they want to avoid Morocco. Um, I don't think they're that scared of Morocco. I think Morocco are really, really good, but I think it'd be an even match. 
I'm not sure that uh, facing, you know, a Palestine or a Jordan or a Saudi is going to be much, much easier. Um, so I don't know. I, it really depends on how both sides approach this. I think if both sides were to go all, all out, I think it would be a very tight match with very little uh, differentiating the two sides. I think Algeria would be slight favorites if everybody played their full strength side. But uh, it's going to be a tough one. And I think I think they're probably going to draw. Okay, a draw, and we'll see, I guess, who picks up more yellow cards or red cards potentially in that game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> First and second, or the drawing of lots, which I really want to see them do that. The one, uh, you, might remi- you might remember this as, uh, as a Canadian, uh, when at the 2000 Gold Cup, Canada actually got out of the group stage through a drawing of lots, and they, they did it at a press conference. I think it was a co- maybe even a coin toss or something like that, uh, and Canada surprisingly the one time where us or mexico didn't win the gold cup that's what allowed canada out of the group stage and to win uh, the gold cup that's that again and aside from international football that is neither here nor there maron let me come to you give me your predictions for both uh these matches i think we are kind of in agreement the three of us that uh, lebanon is a get right game they're going to beat sudan what will happen in egypt against algeria uh, you're more hopeful than I am in concerning the game Lebanon and Sudan. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, for the Algeria and Egypt, uh, it's tough to call, and because uh, I think, given the history between the two national teams, both of them will try to get to win. I think that uh, the hate or footballing hate, I prefer to say, it will be uh, it will play a part in this game. I really want them to draw. I really want them to go to make history, like to a, a lots or something like that. So, but uh, yeah, um, it's gonna be a good game. Sadly, I'm gonna miss it. But uh, yeah, I hope uh, I hope they draw. Yeah, I think it would be a draw as well. I mean, it's one of these matches that on paper is, is you know we're all amped up for it, but sometimes when you hype up a match too too much. Uh, it doesn't really fulfill expectations. And, you know, the likes of uh, Palestine and Jordan know exactly what Morocco and fear Morocco. And I think everybody should fear Morocco, given what they've done in the next in the last two games. But there's familiarity with this Moroccan side. I don't think either team is going to be too intimidated by them. That, that said, respectfully, I think they should. Uh, so with that, we move on to the or Maddie wants to do have a, Yeah, just a quick question. Uh, like when we flip a coin uh, at the Arab Cup, is it like heads and tails, or what's the Arab Cup equivalent? Or <laughs> there's got to be a, a falcon on there, no? There's always falcons with. I, I have no idea. I don't think in Qatar there's something called coin or something. I think they flip like uh, <laughs> Bill. A, a stack of one million dollars. <laughs> Credit cards. <laughs> I mean, right, we're, sorry. We're yeah. first place loser gets the money, so everyone goes home happy. I yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. I mean, I'm kind of holding out hope that it'll be a score draw. So you know, nobody ever likes a nil-nil, but I do want to see how they handle the drawing of lots. Maron, you've mentioned to me that there was a, a scenario in 1960 in World Cup qualifying between uh, was it Tunisia and uh, Morocco uh, in World Cup qualifying. Morocco went through. Um, before either, exactly. side, before either side actually qualified for uh, a World Cup. Um, okay, so let's get to the final group, Group D. 
before we get to the final game of round two, which I know everyone is waiting to see what is Basel going to say? How does he react to this really super dramatic game? Uh, let's talk about Morocco because I was on here a couple of days ago and I said, yeah, Palestine need to be a lot better. Yes, extenuating circumstances and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, Morocco is just that good. Jordan show up, they don't play with a five-man back line. They try and go at them. And basically, in the first four minutes, goal. 15 minutes after that, another goal. And then another goal before halftime. It's 3-0 at halftime. And they really had no answers for Morocco and for their relentless pressing. Maher, is this, let me ask you this, for people who maybe haven't seen so much of Morocco since the last World Cup, is this the game plan or the style of Halihodzic being implemented by Amuta? Or is this Amuta's philosophy on the team? And if it is Amuta's philosophy on the team, surely he's going to get a job somewhere in the Arab world that's going to pay him a lot of money to either take over a national team or one of those big name clubs in Saudi Arabia, UAE or Qatar. Yeah, so for I'll start with the the last thing you said, and I think that's definitely going to happen. Um, uh, I wonder if he's going to stay on for the... uh, African Nations Championship. I don't think he is. It's going to be hosted in Algeria. It was supposed to take place this summer. I think if he, if he, he probably would have stayed on to, to at least compete in that competition and maybe try to three-repeat. Um, but because it's, I think it's going to, it's postponed, I think, until 2023, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he is poached by one of the, the bigger Arab clubs with a, with a bigger purse. Um, Morocco have played like this, um, not just at the senior level, at, also with the B team. And also, I've watched a few of their under-20s and under-17s play, and they've played with a similar identity since, since the World Cup, really, since 2017, 2018, where um, you talked about relentless pressing. They've been really good at, at that, at holding possession, at defending collectively. And the main problem, especially with the senior side for very long, has always been scoring goals. Uh, they haven't really found a real number nine uh, they've experimented with Khalid Bouteyeb. They've experimented with Walid Azaro, Ashraf Ben Shirki, who are both in this side. Uh, they've experimented with Ayub Al Kabi, who's not in this side. Um, and each of them have a relative success, usually, you know, with the B team or with their clubs, uh, you know, at the African Champions League. But when they get to the A team, they can never really be the kind of striker that, you know, going to be a homer here. But that Algeria have with Islam Simani, who set the, the national team record for, for goals. Um, Muhaz Ali, whatever, pick your, your Arab striker. They need that number nine that's going to hold his own and hold his place for five, six, seven years. So what really impressed me about Morocco this year and what Hussein Amuta spoke about in the post-match press conference today, he really saluted their offen- offensive um, efficacy, their efficiency, what's the word I'm looking for? Efficiency, sorry. Yeah, their efficiency attack- attacking in terms of converting chances. That's really the one thing that's impressed me the most about this Moroccan side. The fact that they've put up, you know, four goals like consecutively now. They're they're at plus nine now, right? Four plus five? Yeah. They are they're plus eight. It was two, four nil. Plus eight. Okay. Four plus four. Okay. Yeah, that's that's really, really impressive. Um, after the first match, I said, okay, can they do it again? And they did do it again. So I think it's time for me to stop doubting that they can do it again. Really, really impressed. Again, still want to see it against uh, you know, in, in Egypt or in Algeria. But I think for me, they look like the strongest side in the tournament at the moment. They play, they're playing collectively well. They're pressing and they're converting their chances. Nothing more to add, really. Yeah. And uh, listen, people were out with the memes. So, sorry, sorry, sorry. 
last thing um my discovery of the tournament so far has been the right back should be oh he had a great assist against yeah yeah, and that volley and was was fantastic. The volley was nice, but I would say that you know a lot of people gave um, a, a lot of grief to Ahmed Qadura, who had to make his debut in very difficult circumstances. And obviously, we all know he could have done better on that first goal. But Shibi's goal from long range, I think, is an easier shot to save, and the keeper is out of position. And yeah, it was he hit it nicely and all that stuff. And credit to him, uh, it's not the first time he has a goal involvement from from that far in, against Palestine he had that great cross as well uh, but I think this match really did show the gulf in quality between Morocco and the other teams uh, in the group it'll be interesting to see Saudi Arabia who has a more uh, established identity of playing how they get on against Morocco but I don't think they'll have the quality to come up with uh, anything different uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about this game were the memes that were coming out there was one meme uh, an Egyptian meme that showed the Palestine and Jordan score lines and it said, uh, wow, these people really don't care about the spirit of Arabism at all. Uh, <laughs> um, there was another one uh, from a Jordanian site that said, yeah, you know, if we go into our last game and we advance by beating Jordan 3-0 and we play Algeria in the quarterfinals, I, they are definitely going to rain hell on our faces with the Nazilat al-Sahiqat or whatever it's the, the, the line, the first line of uh, Algeria's national anthem is, uh, for those who don't speak Arabic, the uh, Nazilat or the, um, the lightning uh, or thunderbolts, uh, I should say. Uh, so really people taking the 4-0 in good humor. I think that also kind of gave a bounce to Palestine uh, going into the game against Saudi Arabia. We will get to that match. Moron, uh, thoughts on Morocco. Are you as bullish uh, on Morocco as uh, Hassan and I are. Yeah, honestly, they're amazing. I think you can only like watch them for 10, 15 minutes and you know that they're head and shoulders above everybody else in the group. I think they're one of the uh, uh, that uh, few teams that actually can win it. And uh, I'm really surprised if I do not see them in the semifinals. Even though that will, they will have a tough matchup against either Egypt or Algeria, but they're amazing to be honest. And uh, and just to know that it's not their first team, also, but they they play like it's their first team. Uh, they st same style of play, everything uh, that goes with it. So I think uh, all North African teams. Uh, I say all, but I mean only Egypt, Tunis, Algeria, and Morocco, that uh, they are lucky to have that, that much talent in their, uh, in their football league and in their football national team also. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, most, most definitely. So I think we're all in agreement there. And I believe after tonight's 1-1 draw between uh, Jordan, uh, between, sorry, Palestine and Saudi Arabia, uh, Morocco has officially won the group. There is no way for anybody else to supersede them. Uh, so that brings us to the last match we will speak about today, Palestine against Saudi Arabia. This was really um, kind of a do or die for both teams uh, coming into this match. Saudi Arabia having lost their first game to Jordan 1-0, and then Palestine obviously being on the wrong end of a 4-0 mauling uh, to Morocco. Uh, my thoughts on this are quite simple, and that is, Palestine had an opportunity here to do something quite memorable 
And although I think the coach got some of the decision right, right, he went to a 5-4-1. And I understand why he went to a 5-4-1 against uh, Morocco. It makes complete sense. Uh, he went back to his normal 4-1-4-1 slash 4-3-3. The one decision I think he got wrong, and I think that cost Palestine this game because they could have been up at least 2-0 in the first half, had they had a bit more movement uh, up front, is playing Khalid Salem. And Khalid Salem, you know, I try not to attack players personally, but this guy moves around like he's got rheumatoid arthritis. He just, he doesn't press and we need a guy pressing, we need movement, especially against this young team. And, you know, there were multiple times, at least three times in the first half I counted, where Tamir Sion, who had a really good game, um, former Hassani Agadir winger, uh, came into the box and gave service and there was nobody there because, you know, Khalid Salem is just, jogging along for a walk like no this is intense this is we need to win this game to have any hope of going through and yeah it was the right decision to withdraw him I think when Mahmoud Eid came and played on the wing and, and when a 19 year old comes on and it's only his fifth cap and you he does better than you this should be a signal that not only should he not start but possibly at 32 years old it's the end of the Khalid Salem experiment uh, Maher you want to get on on this so I'm gonna uh, turn it over to you okay. you want an endless rant no, just a quick question. Is he uh, is he actually 32? Because I saw him today and I looked at him. I was like, this guy's not 32. He must be like 36, 37. Man, uh, he is not aging gracefully. Let's put it that way. And we don't have that reputation, right? Like in Iraq, on our first episode, Hassanin spoke about it, about how their youth players aren't really youth players and they're far older and they're forging things left and right. I mean, Yunus Mahmoud, for, for people who follow Iraqi football and remember that 2007 Asian Cup uh, winning side, Yunus Mahmoud is not even 40 yet. That dude has looked 40 for the last 15 years. So, but yeah, Khalid Salem, that is what a uh, unprofessional lifestyle will do. Uh, if you hit uh, fatty foods and Coca-Cola and shisha and cigarettes, that's what you're going to look like at 32. So kids, maintain a healthy lifestyle. Don't smoke. Um and you won't look like that at 32. You'll look a lot better. So, yeah, I just think, you know, it doesn't pass the eye test either. The fun facts about Khalid Salim was, um, so at the AFC Cup earlier this year, uh, his side uh, played against the Bahraini side, played against uh, Rifa', I believe. And, you know, Palestinian clubs aren't in their best moment. There's a bit of a crisis in the local league. But he somehow scored a hat-trick in this game. I mean, it was surprising to everyone. And uh, his, his club <laughs> ended up winning uh, the match. It was the only win for a Palestinian club in this club competition. And on the back of that, he got a contract with a club called the Hid in the Bahraini Premier League. So I'm super happy for him that, you know, I always want Palestinian footballers to succeed. Just please keep your success to yourself away from the national team because I think that that decision to play him tonight and that that cross that Tamerson put it was perfect it was perfect and then he tried to attack it with his feet just keep running and put your head on it and bury it and the game would have turned out differently for those who weren't watching it finished 1-1 Palestine took the lead a fantastic I think a goal of the tournament contender gentlemen correct me if I'm wrong Mohammed Rashid from long range and the uh, crowd was the reaction was crazy. I think I woke up the entire building over here with my reaction. I was going to ask what your reaction was. Oh man. Oh man. I was shaking. I was shaking. Uh, I mean, a lot of, um, 
a lot of epithets were said. Uh, I was happy, you know, this is a long time coming for Palestine. We are talking about a team that uh, scored one goal, the 2015 Asian Cup. It was uh, at the end of a, uh, a drubbing by Jordan. So it didn't really mean all that much. Uh, we went all of 2019, the Asian Cup, with great attacking talent in the side, not utilizing it, not scoring a single goal. One of two, one of only two sides at the Asian Cup not to score, which was super disappointing. Uh, so it was a relief. And I'm really happy for a guy like Mohamed Rashid because Palestinians uh, don't get, I think, a fair shake uh, at going pro, especially in the region. And our, our league gets um, overlooked. And he, his uh, foray outside of Palestine started in the Saudi second division. I think it was one of the best players in the Saudi second division and somebody should have came calling for his services from the first division or maybe somebody else in the Gulf, and nobody came knocking. Uh, so he went to Indonesia and he's been doing great. He's one of the best players in the league in Indonesia. And you could just see that the maturity he has, he has in his game and how he has evolved over the last two years, um, even three years since the last Asian Cup, he's just gotten better and better and better. And he's been working on that aspect of his game. So I was super happy to see us get the goal. Um, obviously, you know, I think some of the things that I brought up earlier and not to go on, I wanna obviously hear your opinion on Palestine and Saudi Arabia shortly, um, was yes, they are playing against Saudi Arabia's under 23s. There is also equal inexperience though on the Palestinian side and the Saudi goal, I think was in large part a result of a left back who was only 23 years old uh, and not as good as Abdullah Jab, nowhere near the league of Abdullah Jab, but not knowing that you need to press that ball in that in that um, scenario. And that led to a counterattack, and they got a goal from really one of their only quality chances all game. I mean, Palestine were controlling that game after they took the lead, and Saudi was throwing everything at them. Um, so it sets up, I think, an interesting encounter. And, you know, Palestine, like I mentioned, if Rami Hamad is there, maybe he makes that save because he's got that experience. And Amr Qaddur is a fine goalkeeper, but Rami Hamad is something else. And I really wanted him to be at this tournament to showcase that ability to the world. Uh, obviously, your fullbacks being there, right and left, would help. Uh, attacking options, Wadi, who's playing in Egypt and scoring, Adé Dabag, who's just beasting it in uh, the Portuguese league, Salah Shade, who's got a great goals per game ratio in the Swiss uh, second division. Uh, an attacking midfielder in Nazm al we had um, uh, medical conditions. He had, he had to retire because of a recurring injury. Um, and then Mohamed al who they wanted to bring in, who plays in the Croatian second division and is leading them on a, leading his side on a uh, promotion chase, was supposed to be his replacement. He couldn't come. And for a team like Palestine, I'm sorry, it's going to, that's going to show. And I think it showed a little bit in this game. And then the decision to play Khalid Salem just, really bought it all together. We were playing with 10 men for, for 60 minutes, in my opinion. I've spoken for too much. Marwan, tell me what you thought about this game. Uh, first of all, just a quick note. The, that game of Plata uh, Center, it was versus Muharraq, I think. Yeah. It was in Group C with Ansar, and yeah, it's, it wasn't Trifa. Uh, and Muharraq went on to win the whole tournament, uh, by the way. So, yeah, very impressive. But uh, coming back to this game, uh, I think I agree with you. Palestine looked the better side, and it was obvious. Even uh, okay, Morocco. It's obvious that Morocco would be the uh, better side. But uh, Saudi Arabia cannot be the uh, better side. And Hervé Renard talked about it uh, two days ago that 
you cannot expect a squad that the older player in it is 24 to actually compete in a senior tournament, no matter how well the players are, because they lack experience. Uh, they and the shows and the duels and in that specific cases in each match, little details. It shows that these players lack lack experience, but they don't, do not lack the qualities, and that's why they can score like the one they got uh, against uh, against you that counter attack. So yeah, uh, all in all, I think that that game should have been won by Palestine. But also they've lost it. It was it was in their hand. It was their game to lose. So yeah, better luck next time. Yeah, hope so. Hope so. So that brings us to the final portion of our podcast. We've got to get predictions for what's going to happen in Group D. Um, all teams are still alive to go through. Morocco has booked their passage uh, as group winners. I haven't double checked that, but I believe even if they haven't mathematically booked it, they've booked it. Um, and we, well, we had pretty much consensus of who was going to go through, uh, the field said Morocco and Saudi Arabia, something in that order, in order for that to happen, well, Morocco is, uh, Saudi Arabia is going to have to beat Morocco to go up to four points. And then they're going to need help, um, from other results elsewhere. So, um, lads, what do we think? Who, what are the results of that final match they're going to be and who is going through? Didn't Bess say that when the West Asian sides play each other, they're always going to draw? Yeah. So that would mean like Jordan, Palestine draw, and then probably Morocco, Saudi. I don't know. I don't see Saudi beating Morocco. In that case, it would be Morocco and Jordan. But I don't know. I really don't know. This one is tough. It's really tough to predict. (sighs) I don't know. What what did I initially predict? Morocco and Saudi, yeah? Morocco and Saudi. I think everybody did except. Yeah. Hold on. Let Maroon go, and then I'll, I'll. I go with Jordan just to piss uh, Bess off, <laughs> but no, seriously. <laughs> uh, no, I think Jordan will take it. History, I trust history, and history says that uh, Palestine have never won. And when Basel is alive, so I'm waiting for your death until I say that Palestine will win a game versus Jordan. <laughs> What is what is the because for somebody like me who lives in North Africa, what is the rivalry like? Because I know there's a lot of Palestinians in Jordan, right? Uh, either refugees or or whatever people have been living. What is what is that rivalry? Is it actually like intense, fractious? Is it fraternal? It, so listen, my entire my entire uh, view on this, and I will actually give you some insight into the rivalry. I think this is an exclusive. So if you are um, somebody who has listened to our podcast series, we like to give you insights. Obviously, Mahad gave you that insight on what could happen with Tunisia's uh, coach following this tournament. I will give you insight into this rivalry as well, because there are some things that happen behind the scenes. I think in general, it is fraternal. And, you know, we are in the little brother position because yes, we've gotten a bunch of draws against Jordan, but we've never beaten them since joining FIFA in 1998. There was one win. It came at an Arab Cup in 1976. We beat them 2-1. You know, you know what the saying says, if only one side is winning, is it really a rivalry? And I think Jordan sees us as, listen, if you're not playing against us, we wish you well. But if you're going to play against us, well, come on, you know who's going to win. We're better than you. And we are trying to break that because there is talent. And if you look at youth level, it, the, the script is flipped a little bit. 
Palestine is actually the one getting results. At senior level, I think just because of the administrative chaos, there's never been um, that game where the right coach was in charge, he was playing the right way to kind of go at Jordan and to beat them. Also, they seem to have avoided each other in friendlies, and now they've just met at the 2015 Asian Cup, the 2019 Asian Cup, and now at the Arab Cup. Uh, and in between, they didn't meet each other at all. Uh, so it is fraternal, and I can't say anything bad about the Jordanian fans because, you know, they will show up, and there will be people with divided loyalties. There will be people who want Palestine to do well. Uh, I remember uh, the scenario at the 2019 Asian Cup was that Jordan had won the group. It didn't matter uh, what happened, and Palestine was on a single point. They needed to win to guarantee passage. Now, what ended up happening is that we all thought, okay, well, Jordan will just play with the second string side. That didn't happen. And I was very weirded out why that didn't happen. And they were like really gung-ho about it in the first 20 minutes to try and get a goal. And I think everybody was confused. The Palestinian players were confused. Like, hey, what the hell is going on? Why are you trying? Come on, like, just give us a break, right? We're brothers, you know, come on. Um, and what I have found out recently is that there is a beef, sizzling hot beef between uh, the Palestinian Football Association President Jibril Rajoub and the president of the Jordan uh, FA, uh, Prince Ali bin Hussein. That beef is, from, is for two reasons. One, in the 2015 Asian Cup, for no reason at all, Jibril Joub was in the hotel lobby, he saw Iraqis, Iraq's players, and Palestine was already out of the tournament. And he pretty much said, um, yeah, I hope you guys beat us tomorrow. Uh, obviously the Jordanian FA saw this, they're like, what the heck, are you trying to play with the results to let Iraq go through at our expense? Big hullabaloo. Fast forward a couple of years, Prince Ali is uh, running for FIFA president against Sepp Blatter, and Rajoub says, I will vote for you. Don't worry, my man, I got you. Of course, he also was playing, was sort of playing both ends, and then Sepp Blatter came to visit, and for some reason he was like, no, no, Sepp Blatter, I got you. And at the end of the day, he voted for Sepp Blatter over Prince Ali. Obviously, these things get out. Prince Ali found out that before the match, he went to the Jordan squad, and he was like, listen, guys, I want to win this game. I don't want anything where we let settle for a draw or we let them win. I want to win this game. We are playing with our first string and we are going a lot. Uh, shortly after he visited the squad, then the Asian Football Confederation came in and said, hey, listen, we don't want to see you like taking it easy or losing this game on purpose or doing anything to manipulate the results. Because if you do, we will kick you out of this tournament and we will prevent you from competing at the next tournament. There you have it. During that game, uh, Palestine's captain was kind of like cussing out all the Jordanian players. He's totally bewildered, like, hey, just let us score. The Jordanian goalkeeper, who is of Palestinian or origin, uh, the guy at the time, he's retired, he's now the goalkeeper coach, Amir Shafia, uh, actually, he came out of the goal and he did something a little bit crazy. And who was next to him and failed to get the ball off of him? Khalid Salim. And he looked at him, he's like, listen, man, I'm going to get torn apart for what I did there. I tried to help you. Your attacker was so stupid, he couldn't get the ball off me and put it in the back of the net. So that is the story of the Palestine-Jordan rivalry. There's sizzling hot beef there. Um, you know, I have nothing against uh, Jordan, but there are our rivals, and I want to beat them. And it's, you know, you know how it's like when you have a brother. Like, you love him, but sometimes you just want to punch him in the face. And I want to punch him in the face. I want to win. So, um, yeah, okay. that, that's the background for you. So now. my mind is telling me, my mind is telling me Palestine and Jordan will draw and Saudi will probably draw with uh, Morocco or Morocco will beat them. But my heart is telling me Palestine is going to win this. So I'm going to go uh, Palestine and Morocco to go through. I'm going to change my prediction. 
Okay, that is huge. And really from your, um, from your lips to heaven's gate, because if that were to happen, we would have a potential. Should Algeria win its group, we would have a quarterfinal of Algeria against Palestine, which I think would be absolutely epic. That said, I'm going to disagree with you. I was the only one not to back Morocco and Saudi Arabia to get out of the group. I said Morocco and Jordan. I did initially joke around. I said it was a bit of a jinx, but you know, at the end of the day, I think this is Jordan's number one team. And whatever absences they have, it's it's not it's not like the absences Palestine have. It just it just isn't. And you know, a Jordanian fan could come in and tell me, "Hey, look, this guy's not here. This guy got injured, and uh, this guy got COVID, and and we had a no, no. Like you cannot take away a goalkeeper, both fullbacks." all your good attacking options that play abroad, a good midfielder. You can't do that. You, like Palestine is way, way, way more under strength. And I think because of that, um, Jordan will find a way, right? And I do fear their speed on the counter. I think it could be one of those games where Palestine dominates uh, and then Jordan is just ruthless on the counter. Listen, Hamza Dardur scored four goals against us at the 2015 Asian Cup. Jordanian fans thinks he, think he's finished, he's done. I still get chills every single time I hear that man's name. So I hope I'm wrong, but I'll go for a draw. And I think um, uh, Jordan uh, goes through because that's what they do. Uh, they, they find they find a way. Uh, and unfortunately, Palestine hasn't found a way to get it to uh, a group stage of a major tournament. Uh, Maron, I think you, you've agreed with me. Maher, I hope you're right. I really, really uh, one prediction that I hope I'm wrong, but we'll have to see. You know, the, I think the beauty of football is... You have to play the games. And we've been a little bit off on our predictions. I don't think anyone thought Saudi Arabia would be this week, even with an under-23 side. And now we see them essentially out of the tournament, right? But I think we've got a great slate of uh, final matches. A lot of things to be decided. Not a lot of groups where it's all done and dusted. Only that group D. And obviously, there's that subplot there that's going to be very exciting. Uh, gentlemen, any final thoughts uh, before we wrap things up? Matt, go ahead. A lot of red cards this round. I wasn't expecting that. I uh, hope that cuts down a bit. I feel like it's sometimes it's from second half of matches. Um, so hope for cleaner play. I hope for a drawing of the lots between Algeria and Egypt. And uh, I want one more upset. Just give me one more upset. Syria, Tunisia was nice. I want one more, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of it now. Sudan beating Lebanon wouldn't be huge. Palestine, right. Palestine, right Jordan. Yeah, let's do it. Right here. <laughs> okay, Palestine, Jordan. Let's do that. Yeah. Uh, Maron, anything you're looking forward to in this last uh, stage of matches? Yeah, I'm just uh, want to ask now that Lebanon is eliminated from the Arab Cup, am I also eliminated from the from this panel or something like oh, that? No, if you want to continue, <laughs> man, please. Of course, we'd love to have you. I think you bring a lot of good insight. Lebanon. Uh, yeah. Not involved or not? I think I. I think I'll continue. I will win the Spanish Arab Cup and I will give it as an official title for the national team. Ah, okay. Well, I believe you had Qatar winning it all. So you could, I guess, adopt them as your team going forward uh, and at least try and play for pride of your uh, predictions being right. For me, gentlemen, I think, you know, uh, attendance is improving uh, and atmosphere is improving. So I'm looking forward to a really good uh, final um, slate of games. I know those games are going to be played on a Tuesday. Maybe the fact that these games were on a weekend helped a little bit with that. Um, listen, Palestine versus Jordan. I was there in uh, the UAE three years ago. It's a great atmosphere. I think it's going to be a great atmosphere again. Um, 
Morocco uh, have shown up and the thing about the Moroccan side is they're going to drown out that. And I don't think the Gulf side should be allowed to get a guy in with a megaphone. It's super annoying. Learn how to make your own noise without like some guy just singing into a megaphone. Uh, thankfully, though, when Morocco plays Saudi Arabia, Morocco will drown that out. Algeria, Egypt is going to be great in the stands. Um, and yeah, then there are just teams that are fighting for their life, right? There's not a lot of teams that have punched that ticket yet. And that's what you want to see in the final round of matches at a group stage of any major tournament. So gentlemen, uh, with that, thank you for your time. I'm off to get some rest. So please do rest up because we'll be back in about 72 hours to do this all again. So thanks for being on and to everyone listening, enjoy the football.